Well, good evening again. The title of the sermon this evening is The Darkest Day, Part 2. We did Part 1 on this past Sunday. It's remarkable, the unevenness of the room tonight. Goodness gracious, everybody's over here, so I'm going to attribute that to Dave Martin. I think they want to be with you, brother. Um, It's incredible, it's just empty and full over here. The darkest day in history is 2,000 years ago. We've seen so many things that make it the darkest day over the last weeks. The Savior of the world, perfect in all ways, was arrested, was beaten, was scourged, was mocked, was crucified. The gospel shines brightly against the darkness of that day. The beauty of the gospel shines brightly against the hopeless backdrop of man's sin and the efforts of false religions. God sent His Son into the world as a sacrifice for our sin. And in doing so, he made it possible to have a relationship with him that was unavailable apart from the work of Christ, apart from the cross. In the text today, Jesus dies. The Son of God lays down his life to save others. The gospel is a message of love displayed gloriously through the work of Christ And we see that His work was effective. Because Christ suffered for our sins, we can have a relationship with God and honor Him with our lives. The death of Christ is a significant event for us and for all of human history. We see some wonderful things that take place when Jesus dies, things that teach us about the importance and the result of His sacrifice. We'll be looking at Matthew 27, verses 45 through 61, which I know is a lot for a Good Friday service, but we're going to do it. And I want to highlight two things that happened when Jesus died as we go through the text today. So first, let's look at the text together, and then we'll work through it. Go ahead and stand. We're going to begin with verse 45 of Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. 
And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. You are good. And you do good. You accomplished good through the cross. We pray that you help us to embrace that tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Two things that happened when Jesus died on the cross. The first is this. Jesus receives the separation that all sinners deserve. And secondly, sinners receive the welcome that only the Son deserves of God deserves. Let's work through the text and and look at those two things and how they take place. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour was noon. That's significant because it says there was darkness over the whole land. For three hours there was darkness. The fact that darkness is mentioned must mean that it was intense and memorable. It occurred when it was least expected at noon, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, it is dark. And it says that it enveloped the whole land, so it is an extensive darkness. Not just a darkness over the hill that Jesus died on. It's a picture of God's judgment. Verse 46 continues, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this is remarkable. It's likely at this very moment that Jesus feels the fullness of the weight of our sin and God's judgment of it, that he feels what sin brings about and has brought about in mankind, separation from God the Father. Imagine this just for a moment. This is something all of us have felt, all of us have experienced this, but not ever to this extent. 
For the first time in all of eternity, the Son of God is experiencing the separation that my sin brings about. The separation that Adam's sin brought about. We can't comprehend the depths of that. So this is a moment of deep sorrow, and it's in a moment of, of announcement on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It comes from Psalm 22, verse 1. It's the very first line of that psalm, and therefore, it would have been the title that Jewish people would have known that psalm by. So Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, would be similar to me standing here tonight and saying to you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. When I say that, your mind doesn't just go to that line only. It goes to the song, the lines that follow. That's what would have happened when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So let's look and see what would have been in the people's minds as they hear Jesus cry out from the cross. Psalm 22 says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction 
of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him, from you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. The people would have known those words. It memorized those words. And Jesus is identifying with this psalm and with the prophecy fulfilled. But ultimately, in his death, we see here that Jesus receives the separation that all sinners deserve. You and I deserved separation. And Christ embraced it on our behalf. Why? So that we could receive something else, something much better. Welcome. Sinners receive the welcome that only the Son deserves. Because Jesus receives the separation that all sinners deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. Continues beginning with verse 47 through 49, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Not everyone gets it. Most don't. Some of the people, maybe many of them misunderstand what's happening, and they think he's calling out for the prophet Elijah to come and rescue him. And yet they wait and watch. Someone offers him sour wine to help quench his thirst. And there in verse 50 he tells us, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He dies. Continues, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The symbol is so great, so purposeful, and so important. This happened at three o'clock in the afternoon, and so priests would have been busy in the temple. And as Jesus breathes his last, the veil of the temple is torn. It tells us that it was torn from top to bottom. Now, what does that mean and why is that important? It means that God tore the veil. The veil separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple and from the people 
symbolized the separateness of God, that He was holy and set apart and that man did not have access to Him. When God tears the veil, He's saying it is enough. Jesus' sacrifice is significant and sufficient. The way is now open into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened to us or for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, man did what caused him to be cut off from God. We did that. But God did what needed to be done to open the way to Himself. And as the veil is torn, it is another announcement in the death of Jesus. All who are willing, come. The veil is torn because Christ had paid the price for the sins that kept people out. And that means that sinners receive the welcome that only the Son deserves. It's wonderful news. Jesus' atoning death abolishes the need for sacrifices for sins and ends the separation of God and humanity that the temple veil represented. The veil restricted access to God. None but the high priest could enter, and that only once a year. Jesus offers Himself perfect and complete on the cross, granting believers immediate, unrestricted access to God's presence. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22, continuing. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I want us to consider in light of these two great truths that Jesus receives the separation that all sinners deserve and that sinners receive the welcome that only the Son, Jesus, deserves. I want us to consider the responses that we see from those in the remainder of the text. First is the centurion. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. He and the others with him see how Jesus has responded to all of the mockery, all the pain, to the way that he died. And he glorifies God. Certainly he must have noticed how nature reacted. There's an earthquake. Rocks split open. Graves opened. Luke tells us that the centurion praised God and proclaimed Jesus was innocent or righteous. Matthew and Mark both tell us that the centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. And so the centurion 
And it says, those with him glorified God, declaring Jesus' innocence and deity. It's a wonderful response to what Christ has done for us. It's how we all should respond. We don't know what they did with that truth following this event, but we know what their proclamation was, and it's true and it's worshipful. The second people that we interact with are the women. Verses 55 and 56, there are also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to Him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And we see in verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb, watching there at the cross, hearts must have been grieving deeply. And how do they respond? It tells us that the women pursued in the midst of the darkness. Luke's account tells us that they go and prepare to anoint Jesus' body. They saw where he was and went home and prepare for a proper burial, which they will seek to do following the Sabbath. I think it would be good for us to mention something here, for me to mention something here. Now, I often say, and we often say, that all the disciples abandoned Jesus in his last hours. But that's only true if we mean specifically the 12 apostles. But not all of his followers, not all of his disciples abandoned him. We actually don't have an account of a single woman who abandoned him. They're there. They're at the cross watching, grieving, hurting, and then seeking to continue their ministry to him and for him after his death. It's a beautiful picture of faithfulness. And then we see Joseph and his response in verses 57 following. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a rich man from Arimathea. He was a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Luke gives us some more information that he was actually a member of the council, but that he had not consented to their decision and action. And also says that he was a good and righteous man. So how does this good and righteous man to respond to Jesus' death? He gives of himself, and he cares for his friend. Mark 15, verse 43 says, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
He took courage. He acted courageously. Now, why is that? Why does that take courage? Because in doing so, he's identifying with Jesus. Going to Pilate would have taken courage because Joseph is clearly saying, I'm with this man. He's openly confessing his faith and identification with Jesus. And this tomb, Matthew tells us, had been prepared by Joseph and for Joseph. And he gives it willingly to Jesus. But these are all glorifying responses to who Jesus is and what he's done. And they're acceptable acts of worship only because Jesus has opened the way into God's presence. The veil has been torn. He and He alone makes a way for us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus receives the separation that all sinners deserve so that sinners, we, receive the welcome by God that only His Son, Jesus, deserves. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper to close our service. One of the ways that we share in the fellowship of Christ is through the Lord's Supper. We have fellowship with the one who died for us. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we are invited in to participate, to fellowship with the Savior of the world. We have fellowship with God. The way is opened up, the veil is torn, and we are invited come. And that fellowship is experienced in one way through the Lord's Supper. Andrew's going to play as you're dismissed, as we're dismissed to come and take the bread and the cup and go back to your seats. But as you do that, let's remember the work of Christ. The veil is torn. And let's prepare to take the bread and the cup with thanksgiving in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you embraced suffering that we can't imagine. Certainly, we couldn't have accomplished ourselves. Because of you, Jesus, because of your willingness to go to the cross, you received separation from your Father that we deserve so that we receive a welcome that you deserve. We pray that you'd help us to remember that as we remember the body of you, Jesus, broken and your blood poured out for our forgiveness. Help us to remember rightly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.